So welcome to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, where after consulting with our solicitors, that's all we have time for. We'll speak with you again soon. Once again, Mark and I have uh, roped in our friends Richard and Dave to be talking about Doctor Who on this latest episode. Uh, first off, we're going to be speaking about uh, our thoughts on the new series so far, and then we'll be speaking about the Troughton era. But first, Richard, how are you going? Thanks for having me back on. And Dave. Yep, g'day, how are you? Um, again, thanks for hosting. Uh, just a couple of uh, notes you'll probably hear on the recording that there's an air conditioner going in the background. Uh, that would be because it's summer, almost summer in Australia, and it gets hot. And Juliet the cat. Uh, may make an appearance uh, once or twice during the recording, so just forgive the pitter-patter of pause. All right, so fellas, we're going to be talking about, for the first little bit, uh, about the, uh, the the state of the current series. Dave, how yes. do you think Capaldi's second series so far is uh, unfurling? I actually have been trying to work out an answer to that question for the last half hour, and I've struggled to come up with a coherent one. Um, the series, to me, has been incredibly down and up. There's been episodes I've sort of struggled to enjoy there have been episodes I've really enjoyed and it's I mean we've only had five episodes so far but I've found it a very disjointed series which isn't to say bad just really struggling for a, a tone and a theme I think do you think um, part of that is uh, how you reacted to the first two episodes was it was there something in that that sort of um, made it difficult for you to sort of embrace the series <laughs> yes and no I mean I didn't hate the first two episodes, but there were lots of moments in them that were just very strange and almost felt like there was a team of writers sort of throwing quite random bits and ideas and comments at the screen and seeing what stuck. And it wasn't awful, but it was a bit weird. But I really enjoyed episode three. Um, I more or less enjoyed episode four. And I know I watched episode five. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember much of it. It was pretty, pretty shallow. Yes. But... Capaldi's been great. Um, Clara's been awful, but I've, I've, accept, I've accepted that. We've all come to terms with that, I suppose. That, that's, that's, just, that's just the price of watching an episode of Doctor Who now. You just have to accept Clara will be in it. In, in, in effect, it feels like Clara is simply there to lay the groundwork for her inevitable death. Spoilers. Allegedly. Not that we know that, but I mean, what, she's going to have to theory? go at some point. Well, she is well, You've got a great yeah, theory. She's going yeah. at the end Rob, of the season, isn't she? More or less, yes. What's your theory? Let's spoil it now. End of the season, what's going to happen? Oh, well, I mean, clearly Danny is the love of her life, and she's referred to Danny in the first episode, I think. Missy was in the first two episodes. She'll be in the last two episodes. Clara somehow contrives to get herself killed, but the... But I was about to say, is this going to be like an Amy Rory thing, where she like dies or whatever to go and just be with him? Basically, and then through that uh, memory thing that, that Missy was using all through Series 8 to collect minds or personalities, she's reunited that way with Danny, you know? And uh, there's a, a, a rosy tin about the t- a tinge about the two of them as, the, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> Brian Blessed and uh, Nicola Bryant style, and then they go off into the sunset. <laughs> Which, you know, if it, if it happens, it once again proves that no one dies under Moffat's reign, more or less. Do, do you think that the way that Clara's been written this series really does confirm that Moffat thought she was going at the Christmas episode? Yeah. And, and just had no plan for her this year and is now sort of struggling? struggling? Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. She's, um, for whatever reason, she stayed on, maybe because she just liked working with these people. Fair, fair enough. But in terms of the show... 
it's a mistake, I think, to have a companion around for, for that long. Because she's no, now no longer the audience viewpoint character. She is an alternative Doctor. Yes. And she regards herself as being a peer with the Doctor, which is a mistake. Because now, who does the, who does the audience have to relate, relate to? Capaldi is out there being the hard-ass. Yes. And Clara is trying to replicate his, his manner of you know, resolving things. As a viewer, as a general viewer, what do you, who have you got to relate to? Who? Who? Just a bit difficult. I can't argue with any of that. No. Good. 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 Richard, you've um, uh, you've watched some of Series 9? I have. And I've actually, I can honestly say I've nearly watched as much of Season 9 as I have of Series 8. So, <laughs> <laughs> I've watched, uh, no, I watched, I watched the first two. And they were interesting. Uh, the second one was better than the first one. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I sort of... I, I Actually, and I was watching them reasonably sort of real-time as well. I don't know. I got distracted because I, I realised I hadn't watched the end of uh, Daredevil. And I made the mistake of watching one or two of those. And then I got hooked back into that. So, I actually, who just completely went by the wayside again. Plus, I started working my way back through Better Call Saul. Um, and... Uh, among other things, and I, I don't know, maybe it just shows where I'm at with the series these days. I'll watch them eventually. No, I haven't watched any of the, the last three. We're recording this, what, episode six on to, is on tonight? Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Time. What do you think of Moffat having the temerity, perhaps, of writing a prequel slash sequel to Genesis? Should someone go there to do that? I didn't think it was necessary, no. Uh, I mean, look, it gave me the bit of the, oh, when the kid sort of said, my name's Davros, and I thought, oh, okay. And then I sort of watched the run, as it unfolded, and I was just sort of like, really, why? Do you, do you, was there a need, actually, to do that? I mean, I don't think there's necessarily an untold story there that, that you know, you don't have to tell that story. I mean, Davros is just... In Genesis, as he's presented, he's the product of the Thousand Year War and the hatred of the Thals, and he wants to give them ultimate victory. Really, why does his development have to be influenced in any way by the Doctor? I agree. Five years ago, if you'd asked me that question, I would have gone off on a hardcore old-school fan tirade about how inappropriate it was, let's mess with the... Now, I actually just don't mind slash care. This is something that I've actually found listening to a couple of other... Podcast inferior to yours, no, of you course. Can, but you can mention their names, I don't mind. Um, Diddly Dumb would be one, for example. Listening to them, I found a similar sort of vibe to the way I felt. I've, I've, call, I've, I've dubbed it my Terminator Genesis theory, where when I went and saw Terminator Genesis, I'm, I'm not a big Terminator saga fan. Like I've seen a couple of the movies, they're good, but I'm not really invested in the mythos or the lore of the Terminator movies. So when I saw this one, I've gone, oh yeah, that was a fun movie, and Arnie had some cool lines and. It was set in San Francisco where I just visited, so I could see all the location. I thought, yeah, that was an okay movie. But when I got out of the cinema, I found fans who were invested in Terminator and really knew the lore were going, this is terrible, it's failed, it's ruined the previous movies. And I think that's where a lot of Doctor Who fans are now. If they're watching it as hardcore fans and they're struggling with it, if they've sort of adopted, I guess, like us, a slightly more um, relaxed attitude and just gone, look, it's on 7.30 on Sunday, we'll watch it over our dinner... And if it entertains us, that's great. That's all we expect. I'm finding much easier to watch. And I think that certainly with those first two episodes, just watching it as a good 50 minutes of television over dinner, I found it fine. Um, if I really put my hardcore Who fan hat on, I would have been a lot more negative. But that's again, that's where I am now. I have a similar theory. It's called the Police Academy 7 theory. 
Please. Uh, please no, a, lay it out for us. Is that the one where they go to Moscow? No. Yeah, it was. As soon as Steve Gutenberg has gone, it was there. That's kind of sad, actually. Yeah, thanks to DVD. I think you're right, though. It's becoming more... Not must-see TV for me, but becoming more you know, mere TV. You know, mm. I'm like I'm actually enjoying watching The Flash more. Yes, yeah. Uh, than Doctor Who, and I think it's because it's your same sort of viewpoint where you just go in and watch it and enjoy it. Because I don't, I'm not invested in it. For Doctor Who, I've got the baggage, and I expect a certain level from it, and I'm not getting that at the moment. So that's why I'm probably a lot harder on it than what I, I probably should be. No, exactly. I mean, we're, we're currently in that weird Australian point where it's now been broadcast in the UK but it won't be on until dinner time here now previous years or up until the last couple of years I think all of us would have been out there and one way or another acquiring that episode first thing Sunday morning and you know we've got to watch Doctor Who now whereas now I'm very happy just to watch it as broadcast on Sunday evening I actually don't I have to be honest and say I don't actually think I've really gone the hard I'm going to acquire these and, and watch them probably since about ten and second season probably so clearly, okay. I'm not a, clearly I'm not a true fan. You're a bad, but, fan. Uh, bad fan. Bad fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I went through, I was acquiring the Eccleston stuff and I acquired Tenants first season, but I, I think actually, yeah, I think because I really didn't like Rose very much and I kind of lost my way a bit with David Tennant, I actually, um, yeah, I, I, I must admit, I haven't really been actively acquiring them for ages, but uh, yeah, maybe, I need to, maybe I need a fandom audit or something. <laughs> <laughs> Your ISP will do that for you, I'm sure. So... If we've all taken a step back, uh, in a sense, uh, from you know, no long, not being hardcore new series fans, and I would perhaps posit that perhaps Death in Heaven was the straw that broke the camel's back for a number of fans. It, it wasn't so much the straw as a very large haystack. Yeah, <laughs> covered with camel poo. Steaming <laughs> <laughs> out like that shot in Talons of Wingshire. It didn't really break, didn't really break <laughs> the camel's the, back, it's just atomised the, the camel. With, with the car under it. It, it, it inverted it, and I'm doing something with my fingers here that's probably objectionable, but anyway... Um, All we need to say is worst episode ever. ever. Given that we've taken a step back, um, it's probably time to talk about ratings a little bit or the general public's view of the series. Now, as we all know, the overnights have dropped quite a lot. Yes. And we can talk about the Rugby World Cup. Uh, We can talk about um, uh, time-shifting your viewing. Mm. Is the general public, say, in the UK falling out of love with Doctor Who? And if so, those other things aside, why? Can I give the very serious answer there that it is actually, I think, too early to make that call? Now, as somebody who, in my professional life, watches opinion polls incredibly closely, I know that anything, whether it's an opinion poll or a ratings statistic, is nothing more than a snapshot with a statistical error. And I think until we get the snapshot across the whole 12 episodes of the season, you genuinely can't make an assessment as to where the ratings are and how the show is trending. And just as in a political poll, maybe if there's a big event like the change of a leader or something, it'll see some spikes or distortions that then need to um, sort of uh, soothe their way out over time. Something big like a Rugby World Cup also will cause a bit of a bit of turbulence mm. that again needs to shake itself out over a number of weeks as to whether viewers stay, come back. Um, look, I th- there's no doubt the overnights are down. That's a numerical reality but we don't know the story of the ratings for this series until we've got the entire data set and I think any commentator that tries to sort of say well this event happened and then we got these ratings therefore this event caused that that's not how ratings and polls work no I mean putting anything on against live sport 
really would be on a hiding to nothing because if you've got live sport will always win I would have thought I mean I don't think you know if you've got a choice between watching your favourite drama and watching something live on a, like a, a major sporting event I can't see any scenario in which the, the you know the sporting event would lose C- certainly hence, not here no hence, hence resurrection of the Daleks being moved because of the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, certainly no, certainly not here in Australia. I mean, can you imagine putting something on against the, the, the grand final? Well, do you remember when the Sydney Olympics happened in Australia and there were networks that literally just pretty much took themselves off air for eight hours a day because they just didn't even bother competing with, with the There's Olympics. No point, no. There's no point. What about the time slot, though? It's 8.30 over there, isn't it? Is that right? Well, it's bounced around. It's been bounced around. It's not consistent. It needs to be consistent. So some anchored. episodes are uh, surrounding at about nine in the evening, which for an ostensible, ostensible yeah. level is a family show is quite late, even though it's a Saturday night. Kids are in bed. But we take your point, I suppose, Dave, that um, we need um, more more statistics to actually make a view. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to see how the... um, What is it? The the one-week consolidated figures? You know, how they come in and... we Again, when political operatives look at opinion polls, they tend to make mistakes sometimes looking at them through the eyes of an insider. The same with fans, I think. We look at them and go, well, this is how we'll react in this circumstance, whereas most people are not hardcore fans, and as Richard says, they're not going to watch sport over... Sorry, they are going to watch sport over Doctor Who, and a number of them aren't going to go, oh, my God, I've missed an episode of Doctor Who. I must go back and see it. Some simply won't. But how many of them do and don't, and how many come back, I think we, we are not remotely there yet in making that assessment, and we need to have this conversation in six, seven weeks' time. Is it only the classic series fans and podcasters and, and the media? And have, blog writers. And, and, and blog writers. How are your previews going? Who are, um, who are obsessed with ratings? Because are we scarified because of the 80s and the ratings were used as an excuse to cancel the show? So look, at Battlefield ratings were like 3.94, which is that the same as War Games. I mean, I don't think they've sunk that low yet. Do you think that because of what happened in the past... Uh, we're slightly overreacting to it where are new series fans not bothered about ratings because they don't take an interest in that sort of stuff yes thank you yeah, yes to both points oh, I like it I no no you're right the, 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 the scars of the double cancellation run deep in fandom as I know you guys have discussed during your um, previous episodes and I think there's also a bit of survivor's guilt in some parts of fandom that you know fandom didn't defend Colin strongly and it didn't defend McCoy strongly and as a result it, it died away and we must never ever again fail to defend Doctor Who and those, those scars are deep. and yes you'd be probably right. 80, Audience appreciation what are they like? 82, 83, 84 they're, they're bouncing in that, that slot. That's not bad. Yeah but, but again remember the way they do AIs now is they only serve other people watching the program so this is like getting a whole bunch of people who choose to go to a cricket game and then at the end of them surveying them going, did you enjoy the cricket? Well, if they've chosen to go to the game, <laughs> the chances are they like cricket. So if you've chosen to watch Doctor Who, the chances are you like Doctor Who. It's not like back in the 60s where they got random samples to watch it. and then So that's why you get all those comments they used to repeat in um, DWM, but I can't believe they're making this rubbish. That wouldn't be someone who turned on to watch it. That's just a random view of that survey. That's Michael Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, young, young Michael from Essex, yeah. 1963. <laughs> Yeah, um, AI figures are a bit of a farce, in my opinion. And the audience, in terms of how they drifted away from the show, I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine's daughter. She's about thirteen, has come into Doctor Who via the uh, the new series, and I said, "Oh, how are you enjoying Peter Capaldi's era and uh, and that?" And she goes, "Oh, it's okay, but I do miss Matt Smith." And I asked, "Why?" 
Well, it takes all sorts. And she said, oh, you know, he's really good. He's really cute and really... really you know, and there you go. And that, that, that answer there, I mean, I'm just wondering, is there a bit of ageism uh, regarding Capaldi... I don't think so, but maybe they're making the series to cater for us old well, classic fans um, and they've sort of left some of the audience behind, I, I mean, don't know. Well, you would remember when Dave and I, when he was announced, there were some of the fans mm. we knew in the in the club we were around, they were very much like, it's, oh, it's an old dude. Yeah. Um, they were. They that were, that they was were. actually one of the, one. Of, and, and again, it was one of the younger, I mean, without trying to... Maybe you change your opinion after that, Dave. Without, without trying to profile... Um, yeah. I mean, it was one of the, the younger female fans, and she was like, oh, he's an old dude. We know for a fact, because of what we've seen on the internet and what we've seen around, we know for a fact there were people who watched the Tenant years, not because they were Doctor Who fans who liked Tenant, they were David Tennant fans. Because he was hot. Who came to watch Doctor yeah. Who. And they, they stayed for David Tennant. I think many of them stayed for Matt Smith. Now, I don't know if they were 1% of the viewers or 10% of the viewers, mm. but they were a subset of the viewers. Mm. And I do think that... Uh, if you were watching Doctor Who for um, the lead actor's good looks and the feels, you're probably not getting that out of Peter Capaldi. Now, again, I don't know how what percentage of the audience that is, but it could be 1%, it could be 10%, but it is a percent. Mm. It's sad, isn't it, that the uh, perception of television is like that. It has to be well, young and all about the feels. But that said, how many times did JNT or Barry Letts or whoever make a casting decision based on the old... Let's keep the dads watching the football, watching Doctor Who. Mm. I mean, you know, Louise Jamison was cast and put in a leather bikini mm. for no other reason than to get people to ogle at her. Um, but the drama... Nicola Bryan, yeah. you know, was cast and put in a real <laughs> bikini for no other reason than to get the dads to watch. So mm. the, the idea of and, people... And all 13-year-old fans. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the idea of, of casting um, regulars to try and attract people... Um, uh, because they look good, is not a new phenomenon. It's just that it was never done with the Doctor before. Yes. Because I was supporting characters. And it was supporting characters. And yeah. speaking of Capaldi, uh, most of us, Richard, have seen Series 8. How do we... <laughs> how do we... How do we think... What I've we, seen the first five. That's all right. That's what we need to see. Um, for this question. How do we think Capaldi is being portrayed this year... As opposed to last year. He's a bit more avuncular, isn't he? He's not as spiky. He's a bit oh, more late purpley. Yes, and I think... I know I messaged you guys after seeing episode three that if you had to showcase a Capaldi episode so far, I think that'll be it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think his portrayal was absolutely spot on. Absolutely. And, he, yeah. he, had, he, had, he had some nice little barbs. Yeah. And a little bit of, you know, alienness. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't a prick. Yeah. And, and what I disliked about him occasionally last series was when he went from wit and alienness to actually being a prick so, so like inside the Dalek because I must yeah, admit, in, in, yeah inside the Dalek was the worst, the in, worst in the limited run of in the limited <laughs> yes okay yes I haven't watched very many episodes but is it the Marco Carmaggio era or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was going to say the second black and white era <laughs> <laughs> San Diego they actually make Peter Capaldi in colour do they <laughs> But uh, no, I mean that that was with the episodes I watched last year. Yeah, I must uh, inside the Dalek actually really turned me off. I mean, I didn't think it was a particularly good story, but, but he was just a complete prick yeah. basically in that, and that sort of you know did influence me watching the others. And he seemed to be more toned down in yes, admittedly only two episodes I watched this year, <laughs> but, but yeah. No, I've I've really enjoyed him in the series. Um, he's he's not yet my favourite of the new Doctors, but he's definitely. There's a very tight top two, and then there's a big gap, and then there's 
the next two. Who's your favourite of the new series, Doctor? Oh, Eccleston, easily. Uh, second? Capaldi. Third? Ooh. No, there is no third. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's the two we like and the two um, we don't like. <laughs> no, no, I find that really hard to judge because, as, as I've said before, to me, Matt Smith is like Colin Baker in that I really quite admire his acting or his ability or his all the rest of it. I dislike his doctor, and it's really hard to decide. You know, do you, do you judge on the actor or do you judge on the doctor? Mm. And I'm not sure. If I, if I was judging purely on the doctor, I'd have tended above Smith. Yeah. If I was judging on the actor, I'd have Smith above Tennant. So. Mm. Yes, I, for me, I think Matt Smith is a long way down at the bottom now. I don't like. I don't necessarily like the era. I don't like necessarily what he was asked to portray and how to portray it. Mm. I, I just doesn't work for me and having said that I sometimes worry or wonder is Moffat writing is still writing for Matt Smith yes because it, it just seems like he's writing for an older Matt Smith well as mm. Terence Dick says though there's no characterisation you just write the doctor, the doctor and then you allow the actor to fill in the blanks but in this new era of the feels yeah. you are writing a character you, the doctor is not a, bl- a blank space that the character imposes their own sorry mm. the actor imposes their own a performance on but perhaps that's why some of us are enjoying some of these episodes a lot more because it is just the generic doctor travels in the TARDIS he rocks up they have an adventure solves the problem they all go home but we haven't gone back to this he has to stop and pick Clara up again and deal with whatever's going on in her life again mm. and then he drops her off we put all that aside and now we've just got some fairly plain adventures and having wished for that last year I'm not going to, you know, bite the hands that's feeding me and giving me what I want this year. And speaking of the Doctor's character, and speaking of character actors, and speaking of bad ratings at the end of their tenure, let's all move on to Patrick Trout. And now to cleanse our palates, we're going to be talking about the Patrick Troughton era. Now, before we get into a, uh, a general discussion of that uh, particular time of the program's history, I want to throw it open to you guys. Uh, when did you first uh, become aware or see or hear the uh, Patrick Troughton stuff? I'll randomly pick Dave. The first time I would have seen him on television would definitely have been the Five Doctors repeat when I was about four years old. Um, sometime thereafter I would have seen him in The Three Doctors. Uh, the first time I actually saw a Patrick Troughton story would have been in Australia in 1986. They repeated uh, The Mind Robber and the Crotons. They did. Um, so I remember then we had those on off-air recordings. So that was my Troughton for a long time. But I do remember being critically disappointed when I... Not, not when, so when The Mind Robber was on, I was very excited about that. And I looked at the target novelizations on my dad's bookshelf and saw that the invasion was next. And I thought, you beauty, we're going to see the invasion next week. And um, unfortunately, it went straight to the Crotons. And then it went straight to Spearhead from Space. <laughs> so as a, as a, as a six-year-old, I'm not quite sure, I wasn't quite sure why that happened. But I, I do remember that quite well. But, and then after that, I think the Seeds of Death came out on VHS. Um, I then saw the invasion at a club meeting. So, and then I bought the Dominators was it, was it when I went to the UK for the first time in 91. Um, I was allowed to buy one VHS tape, and we got the Dominators. So I'd actually seen... Yeah, that. great choice. As, as a 11-year-old at that point, it was a very... Ex- you got to see the Quarks. You know, this was, I'd never seen a photo of the Quarks, never seen... So I got to see the Quarks. Um, but but I, what about Kane on and other mechanical creatures? Mimeo. Yeah, I mean... 
Yeah, there was, was, there was actually yeah, 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 yes, I had I had seen a blue stenciled picture of the quarks in the technical manual. I mean, no, look, it was it was a big deal, but but certainly I saw most of season six before I saw anything else of Drown. And what was your uh, abiding memory? It was in black and white. I don't really have an abiding memory of him particularly because, as a fan in the eighties, you had repeats of all different doctors and screenings of all different doctors. It all just lumped together at that time. We were lucky, was, weren't we? We were, we were very, very lucky. What about you, Richard? Probably much the same. I think the first time I actually saw Troughton would be when The Three Doctors was repeated, and that would have been probably the late 70s. It'd be probably a bit 50-50 whether I saw him or read one of the Target novels mm. first. Um, then, obviously, uh, Five Doctors and then Two Doctors. Oh yes, yeah, uh, oh, yes. I forgot the two doctors. Yes. Yeah, yeah and then uh, then it would have been yeah when the uh, that would have been early '86 when they repeated uh, Mind Rob and the Crotons, um, straight after season 22, actually here, mm, and then yes. from Revelation Dalek straight into Mind Robber. Yeah, um, and then from there, yeah, again it would have been probably the Seeds VHS, and then um, I was probably at the same meeting where they showed uh, Invasion. Were you at the meeting where they showed the War Games? It was one of the very early meetings I went to, um, probably about 88, 89. Did you been sleeping back for that? No, I do, I do remember getting the War Games, I'm trying to think, because there was a lot of Troughton tapes released in the early, early 90s, yeah. mm. I remember getting a few of those mm. um, and watching them, and then really probably the next big one, and, and, and again that probably let me come into fan, was, was Tomb, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, but... Um, mm. I mean, I suppose it's hard because, I mean, look, everybody saw, I guess everybody really who, who didn't see them at the time would have started with season six because, let's face it, until Toon turned up, there wasn't a, um, a there wasn't another complete no. trout. And so unless you had those um, those years tapes or happened to be around fandom where they had, you know, those really appallingly, <laughs> appalling low quality episodes that they sometimes put on. That's well, right. yeah, I, was, I was actually going to, going to mention one of the benefits of being part of the club back in the 80s was the audio department where you could get... Um, oh, yeah. audio copies of Patrick Trouton stories. Now, guys, <laughs> if you thought that a fourth or fifth generation videotape was bad, yes. you try listening to a fourth or fifth generation audio cassette. Um, I, I remember, do remember it like this. That <laughs> was Marco yeah. Polo. Yeah. 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 And I remember listening yeah. to the Fury from the Deep, you know, with sort of one ear pressed against the speaker, like, yep, I think that was the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very, very bad, but we, that was the best we had. Yeah, until until those crystal clear audios turned up. Yeah. yeah. Hallelujah, Graham Strong. Yeah. yeah. Friends. Yeah. Absolutely. And what about, what they're lucky they didn't blow themselves up wiring their radio into the the, the back of the, the, the back of the TV. Yeah. It's a simpler yeah. time. Yeah. What about you, Rob? Oh, HMS. Uh, well, like I'm, a, I'm a, <laughs> of a similar vintage to Richard, so I I imagine, though I can't confirm it, that I would have seen Trout and First and the Three Doctors, uh, and like Richard, I probably would have read some of the novelizations before I saw anything else. I remember being uh, on a trip to Adelaide, uh, being uh, going on a, a novelisation buying spree for the week that we were there, and one of the books that I bought was The Three Doctors, and it's the one with the three, uh, the first three Doctors on the, the, the star film. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that, that, that with the second edition. Yes. Oh, the second edition. Yes, okay. the second edition yeah. I, I have a copy of the, the show. First, the, first, the first edition is the one with Omega. What's yeah. the Achilles one? Achilles yeah, yeah, the Achilles cover with uh, uh, yeah. Omega with his, uh, putting the lightning bolts. Yeah, they're great. Have, yeah. You, uh, have you heard the news that went out over the weekend that... Um, Canine is coming to yes, a movie. Yes, it's coming to a movie. Omega. Canine what? Animal well, versus Bob, Omega. Bob Baker, Bob Baker owns both of them. So, so 
Jesus Christ. But yeah, no, we'll see Bob Barker and Dave Martin. They, they write Three Doctors. Yeah, no, there is, seriously. They are. They're turning that new K9 series into a movie. From the team who brought you Arkham Infinity comes K9 and company. Well, and it's, it's, like, it's, like da- it's like downtime, of course. I mean, th- those characters aren't necessarily. Well, I hope it's not actually like <laughs> <laughs> This is called No Time or Lack of Time. Apologies to anyone who thought downtime was really good. All three of you. But, but look, in seriousness, in the 90s, look, downtime, just changing tangent for a second, down, downtime. Though it does contain it, trout. It does. But, but in yeah. the 90s, when we were sort of starved of Doctor Who, downtime was probably, again, about as good as it got. That's um, no, no. Well, I don't think downtime was the best of those videos by a long shot. No, no but, there, were, there were videos that we screened at the club, yes. I then went and bought, like Air Zone, like Shakedown. There were videos we screened at the club like Downtime that I have never watched but, again. But people were excited when it was mentioned that it was coming out and what it had in it. I yeah, mean, yeah, they were excited then, by then they, 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 it, they were excited by the announcement. Yes. Then they saw it. Yeah. The real reason why they had to stop the DVD of it because it's really shit. <laughs> well, that's what I would have thought. But yes. Yeah. As right. I said again, no, apo- apologies to anyone who actually, uh, you know. Who's actually looking forward to downtime? So then after, uh, after <laughs> three of you. So I had the novelisation. I was. It's got Liz Sladen in it though, and she's really good. Bless her. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I went on that buying spree of books, Sorry. and I had Sorry. three doctors. No, that's all right. Um, and then I, I, well, it had to have been the five doctors, of course. And I, I think Troughton's performance still sticks out in in my memory from that that, that story. Mm. And then I caught uh, parts of the mine robber. The, the one, the bits that I can remember from that original viewing were the Medusa and the knight on the. Was it a knight on a horse? Oh, horse. Yeah, yeah, Lancelot. Lancelot, him. So yes. Um, Not William Russell. <laughs> no. And, sure un- and unlike Richard and Dave and Mark, I, I was never uh, in fandom uh, here in Melbourne in the 80s because I was never living in Melbourne. So I, I had no access to it or anything like that. So my uh, afterwards it was just sort of VHS or uh, or Tomb, of course, was the next thing in 91? Yes. Tomb, no, 92. 90, 92. 92 so, yeah. And that was, that was a massive earthquake and um, that, that hit fandom at that point. So... It was, you know, I went and bought a second-hand copy of, uh, of the VHS, even though I don't think I had a VHS player. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. And, and what about you, Mark? Uh, Web of Fear Part 3. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it three weeks ago. No, um... We're going to thread it into the projector later on. And we will, actually, yeah. Well, by the time and... we finish watching Power, will you guys be still here? <laughs> I watched it yesterday, so I'll be going early. All right. Yeah. All right. Fury from the deep tonight. I haven't seen Macro yet. We should put that on. Cramps. <laughs> Anywho, sorry. Um, I got Enemy of the World. I was given a novelisation for one of the Christmases because uh, it mentioned that word uh, bling in there, I think. And then. Uh, you can say bastard, can't you? Uh, yeah, I just have. We've said prick before, so you're bastard. Yeah, too. exactly. Well, and Martha. Five Doctors then. I remember watching that with uh, at home with uh, my dad and, and my brother and a couple of friends who'd come over to stay. And they were immediately uh, drawn to Troughton and his characterisation, which I thought was interesting. And then, of course, it was uh, Two Doctors, and then Mind Robber and Crotons, and Seed to Death as well. So that was my early Troughton viewing as well. In the 80s, uh, Troughton was sort of labelled the Forgotten Doctor, mainly because his episodes, I don't think only three existed at the time. Mm. In the early 90s, there was some, there was like a reinterest in the Troughton era, especially when the Invasion VHS came out with those uh, really crap links. And the Power and Evil novelizations came out, so there's a bit of resurgence of Trout. And, and all the audios. And all the audios yes. as well started yes. coming out as well. So, uh, in terms of where with, we are, also with crap links. With crap links, exactly. The entrance to the, the colony was decidedly futuristic. Jamie lay tossing restlessly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was J and T more than Jamie. 
compared to where we were then and the and the amount of trout we have now, even though you know a vast majority of his era, well actually it's slowly dwindling, uh, is missing, we're in a lot better state now than what we were before. Yeah, both in terms of having the episodes, but actually having access what, to what, what, watchable qualities of the episodes. Yeah. I mean, mm. Even I, th- I think we haven't mentioned when um, Ice Warriors one four five six was found. Yeah, I could remember watching a bootleg copy of that at the club and. That was from me. It's it's, it's 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 lucky that that yeah. was set in a snowstorm because that's about all you could see. Yeah, it had uh, BBC time coding on it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got that. So, so you know, even the episodes were found. They weren't they weren't great copies. Thank you, but you did enjoy them, though. Oh yeah, you? absolutely. Yeah. We were grateful for any any little scraps, <laughs> any scraps from the table back then. So so did the reevaluation really start with Troughton with Tomb returning? That there was this element that Troughton or McCoy echoes Troughton in sort of the. Not only in his stature, physical stature, but the sort of a slightly darker doctor, a slightly more manipulative, manipulative doctor. Uh, well, yes, because I don't think we really appreciated that aspect of Troughton's doctor until we started to see stuff like Tomb, because that is that is much more evident in the early parts of his era. Mm. Um, mm. Plus, of course, by '92 it was kind of clear that the show wasn't coming back anytime soon, if at all. So there was that reaching back to try and see the old stuff because there was no new stuff anymore. And and plus I suppose you had access even uh, leaving Trout aside I mean a lot of the Hartnell stories that that hadn't been I mean let's face it you could say the same with Hartnell when did you ever see a Hartnell story really I mean I remember I mean I remember going to uh, when they released the videotape of the Daleks but that was the first Hartnell for a while and I went to a club meeting I think where they showed the Time Meddler uh, a really shocking quality copy of the Time Meddler Yeah I I saw a poor quality copy of the Aztecs in about 87 Um, but um, again, until really until the advent of VHS, um, you know, I mean, Hartnell was really very much a forgotten year. I mean, the only Hartnell I ever saw on TV was uh, they showed Unearthly Child, I think. 93. Yeah, that's right, for the 30th anniversary. Yes. And that wasn't a very good quality copy either. No, it wasn't. You know, so I guess the lack of the series and the, and the need to reevaluate probably also time meshed quite nicely, I guess, with, with the uh, increase in accessibility. Hmm. So Troughton starts off in with Power of the Dalek, which we all, even though none of us have seen it, acknowledge we think is a masterpiece or a, you know, uh, a classic it, story. It sounds like one. I, it certainly I, sounds I, like one. I listened to this last month in preparation for this podcast. And, and yes, I absolutely enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. One thing that really impressed me, and we, we all know that Troughton had to make it work, otherwise the show wouldn't have continued, but it was very interesting the way that Troughton, after the regeneration, gets into the story very, very quickly. Mm. But the companions don't actually witness the regeneration. So you've got Polly on the one hand going, oh, look, he's, cl- he's clearly the Doctor, let's accept he's the Doctor. And Ben going, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. So by the time in part three or four, Ben actually goes, well, I guess this really is the Doctor. That, I think, allows the audience to also gradually uh, engage and go, oh, well, now Ben's on board, I guess I'm on board as well, and we've still got two or three episodes of the story to go, and That's we can just get into it. And he, he just hits, hits the hits. He hits the ground running. Yeah. But, but I suppose also in some ways that's necessary, isn't it? Because, let's face it, I mean, they've never done anything like that before. And arguably they do it again really in Spearhead because you have the first two parts of it's, episode or so of Spearhead is... With, is with, hind, bloke. with hindsight, you're right, it's absolutely necessary. But many things have been self-evident in hindsight production teams haven't done. I mean, you know, they made The Twin Dilemma, for example. So, you know, it, 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 you know and, and, I, and I don't mean that just a cheap, as a cheap shot. They could have got it wrong. You know, they could yeah. have got it very, very wrong, and they got it very, very right. And I think David Whittaker particularly doesn't get enough credit for just how effectively they brought Trout into the role. Ah, but then it was rewritten by Dennis Spooner. Well, between them, 
whoever whoever I think the way he's introduced in those first two episodes he basically hits the ground running really after a couple of minutes of mm. he's disconcerted by the change mm. and admittedly as you say um, Polly is on board almost immediately yes. and it, it's a sort of well she's a la- she's a woman she's intuitive and all those sort of things and you know and Ben he's a, he's a, he's a man and he's sort of got to see the proof in front of him sort of thing uh, and as you say it's the audience coming to terms with this ra- quite radical change but Troughton hits the ground running in a way that we don't see with later Doctors, with the Fifth Doctor, with the Sixth Doctor, with the Seventh Doctor, where the production team makes the mistake of making the regeneration story... Traumatic. Traumatic, and yeah. it's yeah. it's unwound over those four episodes. Basically, once they find the Daleks, it's it's just a normal Doctor Who story. They just, mm. they just get into it. Um, that, 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 that first story, Power... How does that compare to um, the latter Hartnell ones? Is because to me it seems it's it's pitched at a slightly older audience. Was, were they doing that also with the latter Hartnells? Probably from you can probably argue somewhere around about say War Machine somewhere around there because there's a change of production team uh, sort of right towards the end of the Hartnell era. Because um, I mean you have sort of the stuff with John Wiles and then John Wiles runs into issues um, and and moves issues. on. Um, well, he did because he, he wanted to take a. I think he wanted to take a far more adult approach, which you see in stuff like the massacre and that. And he wanted to um, yeah. pitch it older, and then he ran into resistance from the BBC plus and Hartnell and and Hartnell. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Sorry, but so I still toy maker was was that? Well, that's where they were originally going to get. Yeah, well, that was where they originally yeah, wanted to get rid of Hartnell. Yeah, the story now is that the. the contracts department just just accidentally re- yeah re- just reissued his contract without even consulting anybody. Hmm. Because uh, no one had told them, you know, that, that, that they were going to get rid of him, mm. so um, they just automatically renewed his contract. But to get back to your question, Rob, I, you, you're right. I, I, I do think that Trout and his stories get a little bit softer over time. I don't know whether that's a deliberate direction on the part of the production team, or just that the hard slog of making Doctor Who in the '60s caught up with everybody. Mm. Um, you certainly listen to Terence Dix talking about his experience in season six and. You know, who's always been about just get it out so that they don't have to you know, play the time code. Season 6 has probably been unusual. It, it, it was, but people people were clearly tired. Troughton was clearly tired. Oh, I think he is. I mean, there's there's things in Troughton's early patrols. I mean, there's the stuff, and it's hard because you can't see them, but I mean, there's the things you know that they have in the Highlanders and the Underwater Venice where he's going to be fond of, you know, acquiring costumes yes. and, and, and going incognito, yeah. um, which they seem to then just abandon. abandon. Yeah. yeah. Um, after, after the Highlanders. Just, certainly with power I had that in my mind that you know the, the, the standard line on Troughton is that early in his run you know he, he didn't want to be typecast so he was prepared to you know black up effectively or wear a funny hat or, or, or portray it in a particular way that enabled him to escape from the role in the future but listening to power and again it's listening to power so you don't see his uh, his physical portrayal and that's the great beauty and joy of Enemy and Web being back is you can see that and you can mm. sort of envisage now how Troughton might have done it say in Power or, or Hollanders but for me anyway there's none of that sort of clownishness it is a fairly straight performance and the story is a fairly straight uh, story um, well, which, still, which helps you still get little things like him clowning around with the um, tuning fork to, to get out and that, that there, there are little traces yes. of that right from yes. the start, but you're right, they probably become a bigger part of his character as stuff went on. Um, I suspect because the writers latched on to that more than the... Um, and probably he's also worked out the ease of how, he, how to play it, and, and probably the ease of playing it too. You can just slip into getting character basically quickly if you have a 
set list of, okay, well, the doctor will do this and I'll do this. Because, mm. um, I mean, there's all those stories about one of his favourite things was apparently he liked to make people, you know, corpse. I know there's a scene where he's lying on that. I remember we, we interviewed, um, what was her name, the, the lady from... Um, Louise Pedro. Uh, oh, Louise Pedro. And there's a scene there where, where after he's been knocked out and he's lying on the bed and she's tending to him and apparently he spent the whole time like pulling faces at her and blowing her kisses and whatever to try and make her, try and make her corpse. So Yeah, that's why he did it. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> that's what she said. I'm just... That's literally what she said. <laughs> <laughs> another envelope going on a Wednesday night to her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 we were steering away from <laughs> That early part of Trout and Zero is very much a transition period. A transition for the show and the lead. It's a transition of companions. Yes. Um, and it's also a transition uh, towards uh, away from historicals and towards embracing a more modern setting in a lot of ways. I mean, there's futuristic settings, but there's also modern settings like with Fury from the Deep and all that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do we think about that approach? Was that in a response to, well, it's clear that where the producers or the producer wanted to pitch the series. Do we have any thoughts about how that was portrayed and how, how, that, how that's been received I think there are a lot of good stories so it mostly worked whether the audience got a bit dull I'm not quite sure but you have to judge it by the stories and the stories were kind of good for the most part there, there are some clunkers but there were some good stories well I suppose you can argue I mean that I mean it's supposed to be the, the base under siege era which I guess has its test run in what tenth planet really? Yeah. Well, here's some oh, notes. No, no, one of your yeah. points. Sorry. No, 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 no. Well, I've I've actually done some analysis on that point. Go for it. So I, I I suspected when we were planning this that we would cover the base under siege concept. So I actually did some analysis on what I thought constituted a typical uh, Patrick Trout story and how many stories actually matched up matched it up. So I've come up with the five tropes I think fandom generally associates with the Trouton era. So number one is an isolated location. Number two is a futuristic setting. Number three is a monster of the week. Number four is a deliberately and overtly multi-ethnic cast. And number five is the controller or boss goes slightly crazy, cracks up, or goes mad. Now, I actually... And the reason why I was sort of latched on what you said, Richard, is Tenth Planet ticks all five of those. Mm. It, it actually, it really does. The only Troughton that I could see that unambiguously ticks all five of those is the Wheel in Space. Yes. Now, the Ice Warriors, I can't remember the crew being particularly multi-ethnic, so I don't think it quite I makes that one. I don't think it one. was, but it was quite boring. It, we can come <laughs> back to that. And um, there was another one... That was close. That was close... Moonbase was no, quite. Was Moonbase close? Moonbase gets four out of five cause, okay. because the boss doesn't go mad. So that's yeah. that's very clearly four out of five. Um, oh yeah, here Tim. So Tim clearly has four of them. Yeah. Uh, Eric Clegg goes mad, but yes. is he really the controller or the boss? So I don't know whether that quite mm. ticks that trope. He just funds it, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. So he's a slightly, he's slightly unhinged anyway, given his uh, his ideology. Oh, absolutely. So, so if you, you could say two and Ice Warriors are sort of four and a half out of five, while well, Wheel is the only absolutely clear five out of five. But there's a lot of threes, and there are one, arguably two, three, four stories that don't tick any of those. So the Highlanders, obviously, faceless ones, depending on whether you call the Chameleons a monster of the week or not. Um, and I'm not sure you really could. The Mind Robber and, interestingly, the War Games don't tick any of those tropes. But otherwise, most of those stories tick a few of those tropes. 
So there definitely was a formula at work. But the other, the other final point I'll make on that is, if you guys look at this chart that I've made down here, and I'm sorry if you, you can't see Show it, but um, when you hit wheel in space, there's a lot of ticks, and obviously that gets five out of five. Season six, though, there's a big, big um, turnaround, and there's not many stories to get more than one or two of those tropes. So whether, again, that was a deliberate move away by the production team, or just... Get something on the air. Yeah, and don't really care no, what no, it is. I, I, I suspect Which, somebody's get some of it on the air, because yeah. they had a lot of problems. Absolutely, but, yeah. I mean, with those first two, where you've got controllers out of control and all that sort of thing, I mean, is, is the early Trouton era a response to, say, what was going on in popular culture in the late 60s with, say, Bond? You know, you have a Bond villain. Salamander is very much a Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, is a lot of, I mean, you say budget, that's fair enough. But it's also story tropes that are floating around in, the, in, in pop culture at that time. At that time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think there was that anti-establishment feeling that was going through in it as well. Mm. Um, that was the time when you know, Harold Wilson was talking about the white heat of technology and there was all that feeling of technology coming through and would it be controlled or not. And mm. I mean, you, you see that in the Ice Warriors with all the talk about the effects of um, technology on climate change mm. and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it was a bit of a reflection of the 60s. Not that any of us were there, but... Funny, we, we talk about global warming now. Back in the fifties and sixties, they were talking about global a global ice age. Mm. Uh, John Christopher yes. wrote a book, The World in Winter, which That's is right. based on that premise, which is um, a little bit frightening. But anyway, Richard, you have a, an interesting theory, which we'll thrash out. Um, you believe that what we regard as modern Doctor Who began. Uh, with the Troughton era? It wasn't so much a theory, it was just, I guess, a discussion point. Um, I know that's, that's often been said, that, that Doctor Who, uh, as, as we know it, probably starts here. Um, I mean, you have, uh, you get to the moon base and, and Troughton very clearly states, uh, states his ethos that you know, there are some corners in the universe um, and they must be fought, which, which very much, I guess, probably leads into the discussion, uh, if we want to have that, about the Doctor is now firmly the moral point or the moral focus of the series so if he says it's bad well it must be I mean you can probably say Hartnell's a little bit uh, say a little bit particularly in the early Hartnell's where he's a bit more ambiguous and clearly Ian is, is the you know Ian is the hero mm. Ian and Barbara um, the hero and heroine um, I mean going back to what we were saying about the, the, the changing I mean the stories do very much start to become you know monster of the week and fighting the monsters mm. um, certainly during the early and mid, mid eras um, as opposed to, say, exploring, wanting to explore the universe. Um, and they also become probably, uh, formulaic is probably the wrong word, but they are probably written more to a, a trope a style. or a, a style. Yeah. Um, we know this works and this pulls in the viewers, and plus it's cheap to do. Yes. Like if you have a small isolated setting, you can cut down on sets and cast. Yep. Um, so, as, again, as opposed to you know the Hartley where they would attempt something like the Web Planet, um, which we you know, and we all laugh at it, but you know, as we all discussed now, is it was a massive undertaking for them. Um, and I mean, you don't even have, I guess, even if you look at John Pertwee, where a lot of those are put in to make statements. You know, we want to make a statement about the environment or about you know being nice to each other or uh, whatever. So the show, I guess, becomes space adventure at this point, really, rather than than anything anything it was during the Hartnell era. There's certainly a lot more of that sense of, Doctor, why don't we just go back to the TARDIS? It's not nice here. No, we have to go and investigate. We have to go and solve the problem, which, mm. you're right, that does come through a lot more. Or even on Fury from the Deep with Victoria, that you're saying, can we just get away from here? 
uh, to sort of uh, getting fed up. Yeah, what is it? Everywhere we land, something terrible so it's, happens. It's exactly right. And uh, it's called drama, dear. Yeah. <laughs> it's called acting, dear. It's called um, 25 minutes slot, which would be much Yeah. Thrill. And she actually calls out, you know, I'm actually fed up of this. It's quite called out uh, early on. So her the seeds for her departure were sown quite early. I don't think you can um, deny what Richard said. There is a definite shift in focus, and it is a much more about good versus evil than it was in the Hardware. Mm. Yeah, but just to, to look at Trout and to look at the second Doctor, he's not your Ian character where he's a tall, upstanding individual. He clear, clearly fulfills the hero role. No, no, no. He doesn't... Con- does he Does he confront the evil or the badness front on, or does he sort of come at it at an angle? No, like you see at an turn, angle. For instance. Yeah, he's yeah. probably more... Again, manipulating is probably not the right word, but he is probably more... Machiavellian? Yeah, pushing pushing things yeah. in the direction he wants them. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's all the stuff. I mean, look, Tomb is, is obviously the one everyone quotes because, you know, he basically, because he wants to, sh- and arguably because he wants to shut the Cybermen down completely, he goes and he, and, and I mean, gets them all killed. But he progressively goes mm. through and shows them how to get in, shows them how to open the door, shows them how to get down into the tombs. Um, mm. And he's really just pushing things along. Uh, you know, I mean, you could argue it's just a game to make it more interesting, but but, but there's that big confrontation between him and Jamie in Evil, mm. uh, where the Doctor actually goes along with the Daleks' plan. Uh, we know in hindsight because he wants to find out what they're doing and sabotage it. Yeah. But Jamie actually calls him out and says, "What are you doing? This isn't the Doctor mm. I know." So the modern example of that is uh, leading from behind. Uh, Obama leading from <laughs> <laughs> leading, le- leading from behind because it's allowing your enemies, allowing the bad guys to basically, you know, see the sow, sow the seeds of their own destruction. Yeah, in a I, sense. that's that's yeah. Which is an interesting take because I mean, again, we've talked in the '60s about you know these heroic lead characters that we have, you know, Jason King or James Bond or anything, or you know, the Avengers, mm. uh, Batman, Mr. Steve, Batman, yeah. who are out in front but pushing things, mm. but Troughton is less so. Is less so. Is, is is he more like a um, Avengers um, um, steed type character? Because he was very much just allow the similar sort of thing, allow the bad until, until, until the fight scene. At the until end. the fight scene at the end, but he, he would allow <laughs> the, the the bad guys plot to develop and watch them, and then. And, and, and we're, we're, we're at the 40 minute mark now, so, so, so we better get So it's to the time fight. for him and him appeal to him in the fight, yeah. Fight. <laughs> 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 So I don't think, yeah, I don't think Trout was Robinson Crusoe on that. But you're right, it was against the type of the time. The great godsend to the Trouton era um, for all of us now talking is the fact that Tomb was found in 1992. It meant that we were able to, as we said before, reevaluate his run, but... A little better. A little better. But having said that, there's virtually nothing left of season four. And season five until Philip Morris, you know, came out of the clouds from nowhere... Uh, was badly underrepresented as well. It was. How objective can we be about evaluating seasons four and five, given the the, the, the parlous state in the, uh, in, the uh, in the archives? There's still a lot of mystique around those two series, aren't there? There, there is. I mean, look, yeah. and a lot of it you rely on sort of you know fan convention. I mean, no, nobody ever says, "Hey, look, I've got you know I, I know someone who's got underwater menace one." Um, or you know, or I know somebody who's got uh, who's got you know the, the rest of the celestial toy maker. So um, you, you are sort of obliged to go a bit on memory. I, I tend to take the view that, generally speaking, and I'll mention a couple of exceptions, but generally speaking, if you are listening to the audio tracks as we can now, hmm. and you find that the story is good, the writing is good, 
and the audio performances are good, it's unlikely that seeing the story visually is going to make it worse. In fact, as we saw with Enemy of the World, actually seeing the visuals and the directions makes it significantly better. There are exceptions to that. Um, the Macro Terror is a story that I think has been almost forgotten from history. Um, I think it's quite a good story, but I do suspect that if it were to be found, or if it has been found and is returned, but that seems unlikely, if it has been found, that is one that could go down a little bit based on the sort of 10-second um, sensor clips that Rod, Rod Scott found in Melbourne, um, what, about 20 years ago now. Um, we're still going with this year, right? Yep, no, well, Melbourne, Melbourne loyalty. Um, but if you look at the, the Rod Scott sensor clips and you, you look at the Macro Terror with the flashing eyeballs, yeah. I, do, I do worry that if we saw the Macro Terror, that is one that would come down a little bit. Um, Fury from the Deep's the other. I suspect, as an audio, it works brilliantly, but yeah. we could actually see it and see, oh, it's just the trout and foam oh, machine okay. again. Well, we see that in the surviving clip from, I think, one of the later episodes. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, and let's face it, it was a little yeah. disappointing, actually, when you see the web in the web of fear, and it is, it's just the foam machine being piped well, through. At least web of fear also has that, that video effect as yeah. well. But I, I, I did, when I saw that bit of web of fear, I'm going, oh, no, it's the trout and foam machine. Oh, I have to be honest and say, I, 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 to be honest, I, I've never really got digressing the, the sort of mystique around fury from the... Uh, Fury from the Deep, because look, it's probably a hard one, as you say, to judge from audio, but at the end of the day, I think it's a seaweed monster and it's resolved by Victoria screaming at it. It, um, it is. It, is, it but, takes six episodes to get to that. But that, the, getting, the, the getting there is very tense. It's very well It done. is. Look, there are scenes there, and I'd imagine, look, if you saw them, and you know, when they're down in the impeller room or whatever it is, yeah. and there's that, that relentless heartbeat through the pipes. Yeah. Um, it's certainly faster moving than the Ice Warriors. That's not hard. Um, the, 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 no. the, the Ice Warriors, where, let's just summarise the plot. Episode episode one, the Ice Warriors wake up. They spend four and a half episodes going, well, we, we shouldn't attack the spaceship in case it blows up. We need to find out what sort of engine it has. Then they get ten minutes to the end and go, well, it may or may not blow up stuff. It will just fire the gun anyway. Hmm. It's terrible. And the fact that you can watch it without those two episodes and not, and not miss anything <laughs> says a lot. But can I, can I give the, the inverse, though? And, and Mark, you're going to disagree with me, I suspect, here, but... I want to defend the space pirates. Oh, yeah. No, no. If, no <laughs> if you, the problem with the space pirates is that only episode two obviously exists. Yes. Now, you look at the whole story. Episode one is actually very exciting. You arrive on this space station. Pirates come. There's a big shoot, shootout. Pirates blow it up. They well, take it well, away. What, what would probably be a big BBC shootout? Well, no. A, a Doctor Who 1969 shootout. But there would be a shootout then the, the the space core or whatever they, they come along then they're putting raiding parties on all the other satellites then the space pirates come again there's another shootout the doctor's involved the space station blows up it's, it's there's actually quite a lot happens in episode one then you get to episode <laughs> episode four you get to episode two and, and but that is that is yeah. a typical episode two where you now sort of pause the story to properly mm. introduce all the characters, explain who the, the, the military people are. You go down to Tar and just introduce the setup on, on that planet. And, 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 and you're right, nothing much happens. Get to episode three, and suddenly the Doctor starts actually engaging with the story again. The Doctor gets to Tar, he actually encounters the space pirates. I'm not saying it's a great story, mm. but there's a lot of stories out there that if only episode two existed, they would be written off far more than. Yeah, that's because episode two is often a holding episode. That's like Enemy of the World, episode three, because of that episode for so long. They thought, yep, dull, boring. Yeah. And it is. It's the worst out of the lot. So, look. And, and even episode three is better now that you can actually watch in it. Context, in context. context that's exactly it. Episodes. Yeah. I listened to Fury from the Deep uh, and also The Abominable Snowman 
in preparation for this podcast, we occasionally do. And the one thing I noticed about those, the, the Troughton stories are very visual, but because we can't see them, where the Hartnells are more, they're like a radio play. Mm. Or a stage play. Or a stage play. Fear from the Deep, the helicopter chase scene. There's no narration, because they can't narrate what, the helicopter goes up, helicopter <laughs> goes down. They can't do it. And... JNT would have had a crack. <laughs> The no, helicopter no. was tossing fuse. <laughs> you're, you're right. Um, I, I watched the Moonbase um, in preparation for this. Oh, and sorry. No, I, I, really <laughs> lo- I really like the Moonbase. And Moonbase. watching um, episode three, that ends with the hordes of Cybermen coming over yeah. the horizon. Yeah. And look, it obviously is fairly accurate because it then leads into the cliffhanger to see episode mm. four. Mm. So you can get a feel for it. Mm. That, again, you're right, was a very visual moment of just several mm. minutes of um, uh, space adventure music. And hordes of Cybermen coming yeah. over the horizon. That would, I suspect, if you were yeah. watching that, it would have looked very, very cool. I, I actually think that is possibly part of the, the, the mystique around the Troughton stuff. Because if you look at, at Troughton, if you're a kid and you saw Troughton in the 60s, um, Troughton is, the Troughton era is, or appears to be full of very big, striking, iconic, I guess, if you want to use that word, mm, yeah. images. Like, yeah. you know, the, the Cybermen walking across the surface of the moon. Um, the Cybermen bursting out of their tombs, going into the Emperor Dalek's throne room. Um, Yeti's in the underground. Yeti's in the underground, that sort of stuff. Now, if you saw those in the 1960s, say, as a young kid, and then you didn't see them again for, well, in a lot of cases, ever again, and all you had were the target book story. Like, if you look at two, I mean, that's got that big set piece of the Cybermen coming out, which is quite impressive. It is. And if you saw that as a kid, that would be very impressive. Now, if you then only had the target book to rely on for the next 30 years... Mm. Um, and that's Tomb is quite a well-written book. It is a very well-written book. Um, Tomb yeah. is a really good book, and it's it actually is. a quite gripping and quite engaging book. You can easily see why Tomb would be inflated as this absolute mm. uber story that was probably you know, the best Doctor Who ever did. Mm. Um, and I, I suspect there's a fair bit of that probably around Trout as well, because, and, and, and I suppose you take the other argument is, let's face it, who can prove you wrong? You can say Evil of the Daleks is the greatest story ever made, and it was visually you know, awesome, but... Until uh, you know, until Phil Morris gets uh, yeah. <laughs> all comes down to you, Phil. Um, you know, until we have another another lucky return. I mean, who, who can prove you wrong? But, uh, but but again, I look at or I listen to Evil of the Daleks, and the visuals would have to be incredibly bad to drag that story down. Yeah, because the plot works brilliantly. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. The the acting right across the cast is superb. Troughton clearly is one of the ones that Troughton is giving his all in. Yeah, uh, Fraser's giving his all. That that is a very impressive story. So the visuals would have to be very bad for us to go, ooh. Is Deborah Warren was there. And that's another Whitaker script, isn't it? It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's seven episodes. I'm, it doesn't flag. I was in preparation for this episode. <laughs> actually in preparation. We do research people. And I've left my notes at home, of course. But uh, Whitaker is responsible for a lot of the key episodes, sorry, key stories in, uh, in Troughton's, Troughton's era. He does power, he does evil. He does faceless ones. We on space? No, he didn't do it. was Malcolm Hulk and David Ellis did faceless uh, right. mm. ones. Yeah. Yeah, look, I've often said Whitaker is one of the massive unsung heroes of... Mm. Well, who's, who's yeah, I think so. Well, he said a lot of the early time for the series. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and you're right, I think his influence on the Troughton was significant. Yeah, mm. he wrote that Enemy of the World. He can, he's mm. still contributing to the show. Mm. Yeah. I mean, in terms of my knowledge of the first two years um, of the Troughton era... Uh, Series four or season four for me is a bit of a black hole because there's, there's, there's very little of it. The strongest memories I have are reading uh, Moonbase novelisation, yeah. which which again is quite well it's a great it's, book. it's a fantastic yeah. book. It is a really really strong book. Yeah. So as you as you said, I mean if you're of of an age back then, you know the Ian Levine's of the world, 
the Stephen uh, Walkers of the world. My, cetera, my dad. He did. He saw it in the UK on broadcast, and then emigrated to Australia. By which time the episodes had got here as well, and got to see it all again. <laughs> so did he keep the ship? Did he keep the film copies or not? No, no. But he he, he did see series five um, twice. Um, and, and I have to I have to say, one of my more sentimental moments as a fan was um going around to see him the evening when Web of Fear had suddenly hit iTunes and going. Um, guess what, Dad? I've got the web of fear on my computer. Would you like to watch it? And him just sitting there would watch episode two. Okay, next, 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 next tears one. In his eyes. Well, it, it, it wasn't tears in his eyes, but you could see him actually remembering being, back. you know, yeah, fifteen yeah, or sixteen, and just going, I, "I remember this." You know, it was all coming yeah, back to him. Did you put Sergeant Pepper on after it? Yeah, no. back in four, five, and six. We, we don't need an excuse to listen to Sergeant Pepper. No, you don't. But yeah, it, Revolver's better though. It, it definitely made a big impression on him because um, both when we saw, I remember when we saw Tomb in '92. And then when Web and Enemy came out, he was sitting there going, I remember these scenes, I remember these images. They, they did have a striking effect on him. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, great. And, I, and I think that, as, as Richard said, um, I think the Troughton era, ironically, is a very visual era. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's certainly the more, those images don't really exist. If you think about Hartnell, those images don't really exist in Hartnell. And arguably, they're not really in the Pertwee era either. I mean, you can argue, mm. look, there's stuff with monsters and everyone remembers yeah. the one with the, maggots and the, the giant giant spiders maggots and, blah, and whatever. Yeah. But there's no none of those really big visual moments like Cybermen walking across the surface of the moon. Mm. So Troughton probably stands... In, it's not probably until you get into the Hinchcliffe stuff, you know, where, where you see the Doctor being yeah. drowned. Or... <laughs> <laughs> again and again <laughs> and again. But, but again, you're right, Hinchcliffe... Well, or Sarah Jane being touched up by a Zygon. Um, well, <laughs> Hinchcliffe wasn't quite monster of the, wasn't quite monster of the week in the same respect, but but definitely Hinchcliffe did go back a bit to that monster of the week mm. type trope. So th- mm. th- there is a reflection there, an echo maybe. On the Fury audio, going back to the visuals of it, uh, one thing I noticed was stage directions were so involved that actually uh, they had to blot out some of the dialogue. You know, sort of mm. overplayed over some of the dialogue because it's so visual. So I actually would love to see Fury from the Deep. I'd love to see any recovered trout, to be honest. But if I had to plumb for something, I'd plumb for Fury. But on the strength of the um, of the audio alone, and also Evil, I think Evil's actually a better story than Power, in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah in terms absolutely. of plot, absolutely, it doesn't flag. But but you're talking to you're talking yeah. one extremely excellent story over a very over excellent another, story. Another, yeah. They're both very yeah. very good. But you're right. Evil would be my number one pick for mm. a trout story to come mm. back. Uh, yes, which is unfortunate because it's probably the least likely we to come back. Power are probably the two least. I was gonna, if I had to pick one, if I was picking just one episode, I'd probably go for part one of Power, just building something oh, so yeah. you could see. Yes, I, I'd actually probably go with. I'd actually probably go with the Abominable Snowman. I think actually, if I had to pick mm, a, okay. if I had to pick a trap to come back, I think. Um, yeah, it's I'm not gonna, as bad as what I remembered because I listened to it, and it's not as bad. Again, it's that whole yeah. No, Again, no, it's no, that no. whole episode two thing. Episode two is probably the flagger. It is, of that. And, and I think having listened to the audio, because again, I listened to that not all that long ago. Mm. And, and again, I suppose remembering reading the target novel, because again, the target novel is it's, actually really well yeah, written. It's very strong. Uh, it's one of, you know it wasn't when t- and I know you're not allowed to say that on that thing we're all writing for, but you know <laughs> Terrence was cranking them out at the rate of one a month. I started my book off like that. <laughs> I started yeah, it off. Sorry, for anyone listening, there's a fan project. It's called You on Target, I think, where where they've asked fan writers to, to write about their personal experiences with a uh, with a Doctor Who novel, and we we're all writing for it now. We are. I think, yes. you know, I'm, I'm even writing a better Trouton one. Yeah, Will in Space. Like Power of the Daleks? Power of the Daleks. Uh, Rob, what do you do? Curse of Peladon. So I've broken the cycle, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm luckily not doing the Pescatons. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually sent the guy, uh, I actually sent the guy my, my rough ideas for what I wanted to do for each one. And uh, Willie Space, I don't think, actually was my first choice. So 
You must have liked that. Yeah. Like my idea for that one better than the others. I'm doing Angel to Tara for people's information. Angels of Tara. Androids. Oh, androids. Sorry. Oh, sorry, mixing up angels with Manhattan. <laughs> don't do that. Sorry about don't, that. Don't ever do that. Yeah. No. God, it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> what androids of Tara? No. <laughs> I like Graham Williams stuff. No, no, I like Andrew, Andrew Tatara is fun because I should mm. Camp Grendel next, next time Doctor I should not be so lenient <laughs> and he was in Macro Terror too can, can, I, can I say Androids of Terror that sounds like a Terry uh, Nation script Androids of Tara is that like um, Escape to Danger when I, it was, when I saw that as a young boy I thought that was absolutely boring yeah you watch it again when you actually an adult and it's an incredibly it's fun story yeah yeah, it's yeah great. it is I actually think it's one of the better ones because I, I know you and I have disagreed over this we're going right off tangent here people but um, <laughs> see, Doctor Who no well I was going to say see I watched Stones of Blood not all that Death long ago is not Doctor Who <laughs> <laughs> I watched Stones of Blood not all that long ago and I, I have to be honest the first two episodes were quite good I mm. really didn't get a lot out of the last two no well I, I like it so much I'm actually visiting them in December so are you yes well Take some snapshots. No, I will. No, I just found... I don't know. I just found the Megara really annoying and... and uh, but they're only, they're only in it for an episode. I know they are, but they are quite tedious. And I, I found... Um, what, whatever her name was, the silver-painted lady. Um, <laughs> Vivian Fay. Um, once, once Chameleon. Césaire of Duplos. Yes. Once, once she gets up onto the spaceship, I'm sorry, she becomes very sort of... Um, uh, no, I was about to say, and this is really obscure. She comes very sort of pressure point, Brian Croucher. <laughs> um, that's a Blake Seven reference, people. But um, she, she's very pressure point, Brian Croucher, in terms of the way she delivers her lines. Hands on hips. Yeah, no, um, you give substance to an empty, empty room, room, and the real thing becomes, becomes invisible, undetectable. undetectable. <laughs> Hello, Brian, if you're listening. <laughs> you're the man. I, like I, do, I do wish you'd been able to have been Travis from, from, from day one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an unfair comparison, isn't it? It is. Really? It is. Yeah. Uh, welcome to the 42 to Blake 7. Uh, <laughs> well, we should do one of those, actually. I'm nearly... I'm, I'm to, yeah, yeah. to series four. Oh, so you've watched, what, you've watched Terminal, but you started series four. I started season four. Listen, let's go back onto Trout now. Sorry, right. we'll talk about this off, uh, off mic. Uh, Hello, Mike. In terms of uh, a story to find, I would say uh, Fury from the Deep. I was just thinking about it Fury. today because I was listening to like, yeah. when I was listening to the uh, first couple of episodes today whilst I was bashing the cabinet to death um, <laughs> with a hammer stepped on a screw. Anyway, um, no, I think because of the visuals, because it exemplifies what's best about the first two series. Mm. Or seasons so not the remaining episodes of, of like Space Pirates or Will in Space? Oh no, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able <laughs> Look, to see I any I think any trap recovery would be... Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Any trap recovery, well. clearly. I mean, we've... Well, We've all been excited over the last 25 years of finds being announced. I'd actually like to say, I must one, another one I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't mind seeing uh, Underwater Menace Part 4. Just filming simply so <laughs> I can see the rest of the episode. Just, just what happens, because I've seen the drowning scene, because that's in the in the clips. Yes. And, and what happens after, nothing in the world can stop me now. <laughs> but, but that's an interesting point. Now, Underwater Menace 1, sorry, Underwater Menace 2, hasn't been officially released yet, but I think every fan has seen it. It's out this week. It is. It's actually, it is. No, people it's have been receiving week. copies in the UK already. as of last, yesterday. Oh, well, there you go. What was on the coming sand trailer? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> evil of the... Evil <laughs> <laughs> space! Um, but look, I, I still maintain that Underwater Menace is a very ordinary story. It is. But I will grant that Episode 2 is better than Episode 3. Mm. And, and on the back of that, 
You're right. It would be interesting to see if the rest of the story holds up. Holds up. I have to say, on audio, I found it a real struggle. Yeah, it is. It is a yeah. But but again, what you can't convey on audio is the little looks that Troughton does. His little the little sort of gestures that he does. The way he backs off to turn the power off. So. I, I doubt that I will be blown away by the underwater menace if it's found, but I'll be curious to see it, and maybe it will raise my opinion. Troughton, like many of his uh, successes, makes lots of crap watchable. That is very true. He does. I must admit, yeah, look, one thing you can say, even even crap like the Dominators, um, is is more watchable because of him and the way he and <laughs> his performance. Mm, Unfortunately, he's not in it a lot. No, uh, he's well, probably double. <laughs> no. Really is. No. Well, no. I mean, he's, well, he's in the first bits where they're being like assessed by the Dominators and stuff, and there's all that crap in the middle where they're flying in the rocket and stuff. But there is. Then there's an episode where he's in the tunnel digging. Yes. Uh, he actually doesn't do a lot in that story. Jamie does a lot in that story. We've been talking about the, the visual nature of the of the Troughton uh, era and the iconic nature of the Troughton era. It's full of dialects. It's full of ice warriors. And it's full of Cybermen. Um, does anyone want to say uh, anything about the, the sort of obsession the series uh, seasons had at that time with the Cybermen? Well, they had no choice. Well, I was going to say, because Terry, uh, Terry Nation. Nation said they weren't allowed to use the Daleks anymore. Yeah. So, but, but I'll... I'll, I'll well, sit, that's not the sole reason. But. No, but I'll sit there and say, uh, look, Tenth Planet is a very good story. Obviously, it's not a Hartnell, but... Sorry, it is a Hartnell. Moonbase, I think, is a very good story. I found that, look... It, look common with all the Cybermen stories, if you push the plot too hard, it does break. But watching the Moonbase, I found it a very effective story. Toom, I'm sorry, I know you have a few plot holes that you like to push, Richard, but I think Toom is an excellent story that still holds up. I think the the Invasion is a very, very good story. Yeah, Invasion's good. And look, part six of Wheel in Space isn't bad. (laughs) (laughs) But, But of their first five appearances, I think four are very, very good stories. And if you've got a hit rate like that out of, out of that monster, mm. why would you not use it? They've got a better hit rate then than what they do now with a Cyberman. Well, oh, well, with the exception of Earthshock, has there been a good Cyberman story outside no. of the 60s? And no. even Earthshock is a debatable one. Well, I like Earthshock. I like Earthshock. I, like I, I must admit, I, I watched Revenge of the Cybermen not all that long ago. And, and there's some, some parts of that are actually quite good. It's fun. It it's is. fun. And look, it's got Jeremy Wilkin in it, and he's cool. And that, Except he dies at the end of part three. That's so. true. <laughs> look, no, no, I don't dislike Revenge, but you wouldn't put it up there as one of the greats. No. No, one of the weaker Tom Baker Revenge. That, that's right. I mean, look, but, I, I, I was just going to say, look, I mean, I, I don't think Tomb's rubbish. I don't necessarily think it's as great, perhaps, as... Uh, as, as I do. Uh, well, it, as you it, do, perhaps. It came down a peg or two when it was recovered. I, well, I think it I think it came down a peg or two, but over time the the, the scales have actually sort of found their their, their, balance. their balance and it's still and it's a very good story. Where Web of Fear hasn't like it didn't have that drop when it was when it was seen again. True. Uh, no, but I, I think, think, no, I, I, think, think I think Web of is quite convincing. I mean look I have always had a bit of an issue with, with probably the last two parts of Web of Fear, even on audio, because it's a bit contrived um, well I mean just the whole you must submit willingly thing and then we're going to give you 20 minutes i.e. just long enough to come up with a solution um, and the 20 minutes that actually if you stretch it out must be worth a couple of hours um, well considering they build the thing go out in the tunnels capture it do whatever so um, you know but look it's done it, it's so well done it is extremely um, and the, the great thing about Weber Fear was actually being able to see the, the fight scene in part 4 yeah that um, was amazing yeah, that was absolutely amazing. Um, that was great. I think the whole lot of the Web of Fear 
is Nick Courtney. Yeah, yeah. And look, for me, different. for me, because it, it, I mean, I you know grew up with the Pertwee era, and you would see the more avuncular. Uh, What's the thing? He's a very different there. character there. He's a, very, he's a very much yeah, very different character in this. He's a very more straightforward character, um, and I think it's all a bit of for it. But also, you but see, you see the vulnerability of the character as well. When he comes back from that fight scene, he does after because it's hopeless. We're finished. And and look, that would have been quite a good moment when you watched it the first time, having grown up with the Brigadier as the man, to suddenly see him crack. That was a really really powerful moment. And to see an authority figure. The sixties were still reasonably conservative, yes. even though it all fell apart. <laughs> to see an authority figure like the brigadier, uh, like the colonel, lieutenant uh, colonel, lieutenant colonel, crack like that would have, you know, that's a bravish move for a, mm. a TV show in that era. But it, it, it does dial up the the tension really, really well. It does. I mean, if the military man's breaking, well, what what, what hope do we have? Exactly, yeah. exactly. No, it's very interesting. But then again, that, that's arguably also probably, I mean, if you look at 10th Planet, I mean, when, when Cutler cracks up, that, that's probably arguing 10th Planet sort of starts to, to fall to bits a bit. Um, I think the first three parts, episode, uh, bits of 10th Planet are very good. I'm not overly struck on part four, but because, anyway. But it, it, it is interesting that I can get something out of all four of the Trout Cyberman stories. Obviously, Wheel in Space is the weaker one, but there's three great stories there. And it is interesting that we all sort of agree that they struggled to really hit that again with the Cybermen yeah. ever since. And look, I'll say, whilst the new series has got the Daleks really, really, really well done, and most, 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 they, they've taken the Daleks and made them work very well for the new mm-hmm. era. I think they've completely failed with the Cybermen. Yeah. So what is it about the portrayal of the Cybermen in the Troughton era that m- made them a returning villain that was so popular? What worked then, but doesn't work now? I think one is the the, the the depiction of them. They are they're actually quite scary. The way they look, the way they act, the way they they menace. Uh, but also, there's that genuine feeling of um, the, the the body horror. Yeah. I yeah. mean, as people have noted before, the cliffhanger of part two of Tomb is not the Cybermen waking up. It's the line, "You will be like us." You that, belong to us. You belong, you belong to us. us. And you're screwed. Yes. yes. And right. and the real you, you look at the real terror in um, the invasion where. Vaughan is terrified of the idea that the Cybermen will fully convert him. Mm. So that, that carries across through and you still have that idea that these Cybermen are going to t- change you. Mm. And now, take away your individuality. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing that makes yeah. you you is will gone. be replaced by a piece of metal. Yeah. Yes. And now that's just become another toy. Well, just a, it's, mean, like, it's like a Transformer toy. They touched on that in um, the... Was it, I can't remember the bloody name of the episode of the new series, time. but... Uh, the end of series Doomsday it was or the lead up oh to that where they have the, the woman who's about to get yeah exactly they touched a little bit on that next, yeah. where mm-hmm. they stole Holos Bolas from Spare Parts the big Finnish yeah. um, uh, story so yeah I mean the, the, as you say the Cybermen are all about conformity um, all about conformity but as Mark says um, they, they're just toy robots basically aren't it's they? basically toy the, toy, mm-hmm. yeah. the, the stomping in time for me and the delete delete let's yeah, become a it, catchphrase yeah it, it just seems yeah. too well, maybe that's how they power up their guns. Oh, Jesus. No. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Mark, we need a music clip now. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, I'll put some, I'll put some funeral no, music or space, something. Space adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Your wish is my command.
discussion about the Trouton era should ignore the companions. As we discussed before, Ben and Polly are more transitional figures, I suppose. And then we have, you know, uh, Jamie, Fraser Hines, and then, of course, Deborah Watling and, and Wendy Padbury. Can we say anything about the companions in this era, the depiction that might be different to any other era? They're probably the most that are grounded in their own contemporary time, in that most of, well, certainly Ben and Polly are very, very much of the 60s, mm. in a way that even um, Ian and Barbara weren't. Um, and, and even Jamie, although he is notionally from 19, sorry, 1745, he still feels like a 1960s character to me. Well, I suppose he, he uh, up times, or whatever you want to call it, very quickly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, the, but the, there's, there's still elements of Jamie's character where he's still coming to grips with modern life. I mean, listening to Fury today, he's got no idea what an oil rig is, mm-hmm. um, or the, the concept of living on an oil rig for, for months mm, yeah. and months. It, it just, it's completely alien to him. And even... Um, uh, Victoria um, has no idea about that. No, sort of I mean, look, it's probably some writers, obviously, are probably a bit better at maybe it's more switched on, yeah, than, than others, um, perhaps. And when I mean, you get sort of get into season six, I think we're you know, it's not that that goes out the window, but yeah, well, you look at Jamie and the Dominators, and he's very, very happy just to fire alien weapons and yeah, yeah. go around mm. doing all sorts of stuff. There's, so maybe no that's what that. they probably could have done with Katarina. Because she was out of time as well. She was probably a bit too far yes. out of time. There's a, there's a difference between being a couple of hundred years out and a couple of millennia out. The, the knowledge gap, I think, is, the Katarina is, was is just much, too big. Is much it, was just, it was too big. Yeah, she's a child of superstition where Jamie and Victoria are, you know, the enlightenment. Sort ah, of the, the phantom paper. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. But, I mean, Jamie, as you say, is more ready to embrace the, sort of the reality of where yeah, they are. Is. I mean, look, I, I suppose if you... I mean, if you want to get all sort of, you know, continuity-based, I mean, there's always the scope that there's obviously, more potentially, there is a fair few gaps in the Troughton era where they've had other adventures. I mean, he clearly learns to read at some point, which is a, the, the common quoted thing about him that really he wouldn't be able to read, yet obviously later on he can read reasonably well. So there is scope. I mean, there, there is that story, if you go into one, I mean, that there's, I know there's a fan theory that there's actually a fairly lengthy gap between... Uh, the first scene in, in Tomb of the Cybermen when they're in the TARDIS and the second scene when they're in the TARDIS, um, which tends to be borne out perhaps by some of the discussion later in the story, you know, where the Doctor says, well, to Victoria, are you happy with us? Well, she's only been with him for a day or two. That, that's, you know... Is this season 5B? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> well, 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 you heard it here first, folks, season 5B. Season 5B, season 5B. 5B. coming soon to a big finish production. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say this tonight. With a Bangville ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and look, they can slot some weeping angels or something in there. Oh, for, um, <laughs> they are. There's a new segment. <laughs> talk about a new segment after this podcast. <laughs> Fan wank. <laughs> they find some Jadoon for them to run around with. Um, I look on the topic of the companions. I I like them all. Mm. There, there's there's not one in the Chan run that disappoints me. I know, <laughs> except the new ones in Five B, they're all crap. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, look, maybe because I li- I just listened to Abominable and Fury. And G uh, Victoria, aka Debbie Watling, got on my goat. Just the screaming <laughs> and the whining. Um, it is really and, uh, noticeable watching Web that that I don't think they know really know what to do with her. No, other than no. make her a peril monkey or someone who just screams <laughs> a lot or complains. Yeah. Just yeah. really, she, she has better. At, she, she's one companion that's very variable. Look, I agree. Ice Warriors. She's she's terrible in that. Yeah. Mm. But well, in, well, in, like Enemy was, of the World, though, she's quite good. Yes. Um, evil, she's very good. I, look, I, I would certainly concede that of the five Trouton companions, Victoria is the weakest. Mm. But that's uh, to me, that's weakest of a 
very good bunch of five. And maybe I rate them slightly higher than you do, Mark, but I, I like them all. There's, there's not one there I dislike. Although I am sometimes a little surprised at just how popular Jamie still is. I'm not quite sure whether that's the character or it's because we've all met Fraser Hines in the last 40 years and he's a really top bloke. He is, and look, I think pairing him with Troughton is, is quite inspired because they clearly are obviously very close. Yes, um, they have a very obviously a close relationship, and that comes across on screen. Yeah, there's a shorthand between them, isn't it? Yeah, and, and yet yeah. they didn't get more than a couple of minutes of screen time together in the two Doctors. That's probably one of the biggest, yeah, biggest mistakes a production team's made. If you're going to get those two back, mm. and you don't actually have them, you're not on screen for more than. I would, I would have actually just had Patrick Trout and then Fraser Hines and no Colin Baker or Nick Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> He's a memory. You know, put the old... Uh, yeah, you just watching it on yeah, the... <laughs> like Evil of Daleks. I'm going to weave it at a complete adventure and just have give him six weeks off. Missed opportunity. We have to address season six. I think we all agree that the first two seasons are very, very good of a very high quality. What, what we can see of them. What we can see of them. Yes. Uh, there appears to be, uh, even before season six comes along, uh, Will ends, Will in Space ends series five. Mm. And that's very clearly... The wheels end. do come off on that it, one. It, look, it, it's very clearly the, the, the end of a season. People are tired. The budget is shot. Mm. So, yeah, look, it's, it's no different to most end of season stories in that respect. No. So we then move into se- uh, season six. Um, what happened? Well, if we if we agree that it's a, it's it's much more varied, yes. the type of stories we see are much more varied. Yes, uh, and the quality on some appear to plummet. But and where it's good, and there are good stories. Um, this is a point that Terence Dix actually raised when he was in Australia last year, or sometime in the last year, when people somebody said to him, "Oh, who, what's your favourite story?" And after he slapped that person down as asking a silly fan question, he then answered it. And he, he did make the point that he's very, very proud that the War Games is now regarded so highly because that was one of just him and Mac Hulk setting down in desperation. Smashing it just out. Just smashing it yeah. out. In the same way that the Mind Robber was just yeah. smashed out. Yeah. Um, and they, they t- it, it does prove that sometimes desperation is the mother of a very good story. Yeah. But let's face it, if the good stories were being done under pressure and they just lucked it, then clearly the bad stories were even... Struggling even more. But I suppose you've got, I mean, you've you've got some issues sort of running in the background because I think you've got. I think that you know, Troughton's obviously tired and needs to really get to the point he's had enough. Um, you've Can probably, you say that in his betrayal? I don't think perhaps it's as obvious say as maybe Pertwee in the Monster of Peladon. Well, he's phoning it in. Where he yeah. really just. I mean, look, and I know with Pertwee that's that's when his departure was announced. So I don't doubt that's you know, and he started getting all that saying, "Please don't leave," um, which probably affected him a bit. I would think. You, then you sort of have the stuff. I mean, Fraser Hines is going, then he's not going, and then he is, comes back, and then no, he'll go when Troughton goes. Um, you've also got. I mean, then then there's the the thing with. Uh, we probably should talk about the prison in space, but um, yeah, why not? Well, let's where talk about where it. you've got that getting well, I mean, to the point where there was a re- you know they'd actually started doing pre-production, proper like set pre-production and everything for it, and casting actors, um, and then it suddenly got yanked, and I think we're all quite quite uh, relieved about quite that. relieved about that, perhaps. Um, I that, actually haven't read it. I haven't listened to it or read it. Look, I, I suspect it's one. Look, you probably could say, look, Troughton might, you know, and then the, the, there's some humour in it that probably would work. Um, and I think you could probably say, look, you might have let Troughton rip, but I, I just fail to see it's 
I mean, look, you can say it's misogynistic or sexist or whatever, but I, I think any story that ends with they, they cure Zoe by giving her a damn good spanking and the product and the, the stage direction actually says a really hard spanking. Yeah, um, and they have the, the female character basically, she realizes the other way and then decides the doctor's the man for her. Um, it has Jamie and Drag for at least one, if not two episodes yeah, from memory. Um, it, look, it sounds like a River Song adventure. <laughs> in um, my memory of it, it's a long time since I read the, the, the summary, was that not only was it, as you say, sexist for the time, it just wasn't a very good story. No. Um, they had a couple fall through. I mean, they, they had... Um, I mean, they got into trouble with the, the Dominators because the, the two blokes who wrote the Dominators um, were, were at the point they wanted to take out injunctions um, on the BBC to stop it being screened because they weren't happy with, with how they were being treated. The rights, yeah. And the rights to the, to the quarks. And then, because the, 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 that was supposed to be a six-parter, I think, and then they yeah, just, yeah, they just right. culled it down to five. Um, that's Hazeman and Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then you've got... Uh, now, one of them, and I, I can't remember which one it is, he wrote um, Holy, Blail, Holy Grail, Holy Blood, or was one of the, the people involved in... The, the thing that Da Vinci Code's based on. It was Henry Lincoln, Lincoln, I think. It was, oh, it was one of them. Lincoln. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not Hazeman, it must be Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah, um, he was one of the people in, uh, who wrote that. Um, but I digress. Great conspiracy theory. <laughs> yet, yet, yet again. Um, but um, you, you have that... Um, then you have the the, the the thing about they've suddenly got to write an episode, for, uh, a new episode for the Mind Robber with no, no um, money, no money, um, and then the the original Ice Warrior story falls through, um, and then they ask Brian Hulse to go back and rewrite it, and then he comes up with Seeds of Death. Um, I think Terence Dix did most yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah um, and that's the thing. By that point, they're really yeah. starting to get desperate. So, well, you've, you've got the Crotons, which Robert Holmes submitted on spec. They've said isn't good enough, and then Terence Dix has gone. Well, if you need a four-part story, I've got this in the drawer. Yeah, and, and it really became well. Let's get let's film that because we, we need a script. Yeah, um, let, yeah. let's film that. Um, plus, you've got then the issues with, uh, as I said, with Fraser Hines going, not going, and then they had to rewrite because um, that was probably the thing I, I believe it wasn't actually anything to do with the quality of the story that killed prison in space it was actually the bloke just cracked the sads uh, what was his name? Dick Sharples, Dick Sharples that's it um, basically just cracked the sads over being constantly asked to rewrite um, for, for no additional money and we need the rewrite because we're going to write Fraser Hines out and write this new character in and then no we don't want that anymore well actually maybe yeah we do and then they wanted something else anyway and he, he basically just said well look you know, you're not paying me to do any of this so no um, and, and walked away with it. But, um, and then you get into later stuff, they had whatever the other story was that fell through. That was the Rosemary, or whatever it was called. And then, oh, um, yeah, that's right. And then they're suddenly left with, well, we've got 10 episodes we need to, to, to fill at the end here. Um, Terence, you're not doing anything. Yeah, well, sorry, we've got 16 episodes. Maybe we should ask that Robert Holmes bloke to see if he can knock something else up for us. <laughs> quickly. Yep. Uh, quickly. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, we've got another, we've got 10 episodes left. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Malcolm, how do you fancy, <laughs> uh, what are you doing this weekend? How do you fancy ch chaining yourself to a desk for the next 10 minutes? Yeah, um, I've got a couple of bottles of scotch here. <laughs> yet, as I say, War Games stands up pretty well as a 10 episode. I really enjoy it. It does. I, I, I probably argue, look, it drags a little in the middle. The, the, I, I reckon it's only episode eight where clearly they're not ready for the rebels to get the base yet and get no. the, the conclusion going yet. Well, so they, got, they do pause it for about an episode. Plus you've got that stuff around, like part, I think it's part six or part seven, where they sort of have to go back and explain what's going on again. Um, yeah, yeah. Where they, well, it's sort of hard because yeah. you've got the Doctor. I mean, by the end of part three, the Doctor not only knows what's going on, he's actually actively on the way to the, to the, to the alien base. Yes. Um, and then you've sort of got to fill, you know, another few episodes before you get to the good stuff with the time walls at the end. But no, look, I, I look, I think the war games holds up. Oh, no, I do. Look, I, I like the war games. But. As does the invasion. Mind Robber's brilliant, and 
Crotons and Dominators isn't. It's so got a bit of variety though, hasn't it? So it's, it's well, Crotons has got Phil and Maddock in it though. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Right, so boy, season oh. six is more varied in terms of story and yeah, quality. That's right. Yeah, but it holds up more or less. More or there less. are there are a lot worse seasons in Doctor Who's history than season six. Yes. yes. Um, season six of the new series would be one example. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> season two, season three, season four, season five. <laughs> Do we like the new series? Yes or no? I just go past that now. It's yeah. <laughs> a very complicated question. Do we like Stephen Moffat? Yes or no? Press gang's That's a very, good. Press gang's press very, gang very good. good. Um, was there anything else we want to talk about? Uh, anything more on season six? You want to you say anything on season six? No. I just like it because it's for, it's variety. You know, it's it's not based on the siege every week. It's no. uh, it's you know desperation. To get something on, on the yeah. air by five o'clock, so they're pulling up. They're trying to pull all the stops out, and they said the quality varies, but it's it's certainly mm. watchable, except for Dominators. But the rest of it's certainly watchable, and I said I'd rather watch that than even even the Dominators is is trying, and the lo- the location filming for that's not too bad. The quarks aren't too bad. Um, it's just the fact how, how, that how it's just honestly thought though they would make the quarks into the next merchandising. No, that that was <laughs> a bit strange, and and I, I must admit the Dolcians are such. A dull and boring and annoying alien race. You actually are kind of on the side of the Dominators for most of that story. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that, that that theory about you know Packer and uh, Vaughn being a couple. Oh, <laughs> well, the is, there is that that, that, that the interaction. Is this makes fan a lot fiction more, again? Is this yeah, is no, this the interaction makes a lot more sense yeah. if you view them as a couple. I I I disagree with that, but I have heard it being said. And, and, and maybe so. and maybe you could argue the Dominators, you know, that that works the same way. Well, maybe the Dominators are a all male species well maybe they are because I mean let's face it there's that bit at the end where the bomb rolls out into the ship and they're still arguing with each other <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably the only other thing with season 6 I, I know that there's probably that, that theory um, that you sort of the show as a whole is probably starting perhaps to, to get to the there is that thought that it's starting to get to the end of its lifespan probably by the time you get to the end of the Trouton era you know and I mean let's face it it was cancer I mean Terence if you Terence Dix, I think, has gone on record as saying he was discussed at least as being cancelled at the end of season six, mm. and he was cancelled at the end of season seven, um, albeit only very briefly. But um, so there is sort of that idea that it, it's starting to run out of steam, and you probably argue maybe it's one of those ones that, that would have, you know, wasn't uh, ratings were viewing and probably wasn't worth transitioning to colour. Look, I don't think there's any doubt that it needed the hard reset that luckily it got with season seven mm. but if it, you're right if it had tried to keep doing what it was doing it probably would have petered out it just shows that shows sometimes do need a, a hard reset a hard change of team front hand back of camera and doctor who's benefited from that very very well but but the the, the reset between Trouton and pertwee is far greater than between hartnell and Trouton, definitely yeah. oh that, that that's a complete reimagining i think of the yeah. series yeah it's a soft reset for the hartnell Trouton change mm. but yeah. it's a hard reset can you see Troughton in season seven? Uh, yes, it would be it would be more of the season four type Troughton, but mm. I think he could do it. But maybe some some of the look. I, I think Ambassadors of Death definitely mm. Inferno to some extent, but I think the action would have been dialed down. Silurians is probably the one I, I can't quite see him just sort of going potholing. And yeah, we'll see potholing, but actually some of the stuff maybe with with the Silurians and and certainly with the humans in the base. Yes. Mm. Um, I think he would have done. I mean, look, Pertwee, I, I suppose, and again, we're going off tangent yet again, but, um, I mean, Pertwee, I suppose, is about 
more. It has a, it has a different ethos to it, really, the Pertwee era. So, but but if you if you take the futuristic base under siege from the Trown era and turn that into a modern day scientific research base under siege in the Pertwee era, they they you know they they don't abandon the Trown styles. They cut some of it. They evolve some of it. Um, but but some but there are still echoes of. No, Trown. they don't. And I mean, again, you can argue they go back to it during Hinchcliffe. And then yeah, that's right. Fang Rock, which is probably the ultimate base under siege story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the heart. The, the, sorry, the Trout era certainly echoes through it does. Doctor Who for a long well, time. Well, as we afterwards. said, Doctor Who as we know it, that's that's really where it starts. Yeah. So that's a good point to then discuss uh, Troughton and his legacy to the show, and series four, five, and six, and his legacy to the, to the show. I mean, we we talk about. Uh, Davison being influenced slightly by Troughton. We see Matt Smith clearly being influenced, uh, apparently, by, by Troughton. What is Troughton's legacy uh, to the Doctor Who? A lot of very good stories with a lot of good ideas that echo through and, the and, series. And probably an extremely good characterisation. Extremely good characterisation. There's one point that we haven't raised, and that is a number of people, and I'll probably agree with this myself, have said that outside of their portrayal of the Doctor, Troughton is the best actor to have ever played the role. And if you look at the roles that he has outside of that, him in The Six Wives of Henry VIII, Edwin Mrs. Simpson, so many other series, he's a very, very capable actor. Yeah. And I, as much as I love many of the other actors that played the Doctor right the way through, I struggle to think of one who has a better CV or is a better actor than Troughton. Possibly Davison would be the only one that came close. <laughs> Possibly. I, I, I don't think it's there, but... Probably because they're very different sorts of uh, I mean, actors. I suppose it depends how you look at it. I mean, Pertwee would arguably be the biggest, probably the biggest star at the time he was appointed, probably to take the role. Yes. I would think. I mean, Peter Davison's star was obviously on the rise. P- Peter Davison was more of a romantic lead sitcom actor, whereas Troughton is a very good character actor. Mm. Yeah. And that that's very hard to do, and I think he, he has a hugely impressive body of work. It's often been said by... Colin Baker and numerous others that if Troughton wasn't cast as a second Doctor then the show wouldn't have uh, continued. Do you think that is the case or do you think that the concept of regeneration carried the show through or do you think it was the actor? Because Brian Blessed has come out a few months ago and said he was offered well, the role of, uh, of a role second was offered it twice and he turned it down and he yeah. said it's the biggest mistake uh, he ever made. Look, yeah. Certainly, Troughton deserves credit because he did do it well. The idea that there was no other actor on the payroll of the BBC in 1966 that couldn't also have done it is, I I think, stretching it a bit. Well, Troughton apparently, I mean, like most of the other doctors, Troughton wasn't their first choice. I mean, they offered it, I believe, to to Sir Michael Horton, or Michael Horton, who turned it down. But, I mean, I think that would have been a very Hartnell-type portrayal, um, just in a different body. Um, It was offered to somebody else before it was offered to Troughton. Patrick uh, Weimark oh, yeah. um, was offered it, I think, and Troughton was their third choice, I think. Um, oh, Brian Blessed. Uh, uh, no, he <laughs> yeah, was, he's, yeah, he's come he, out and said yeah, he recently was. he was, was it offered then, it. Was it was yeah, it? no, it was, it was the second Doctor. Yeah, was it? Yeah, he's come out and said it. Uh, would have been an interesting choice, actually, because that probably... Well, that would have... But then again, that was really before he became shouty Brian Blessed. No, and don't, don't forget that at the time Brian Blessed was playing Augustus and I Claudius, he was considered one of the, if not the best... Um, drama oh, actor well, in, in the that's UK. That's the thing, and as I said, see if he'd taken Doctor Who then, I mean that was before he just became known for Gordon's alive. Yes. Um, or as I said, being shouty. I mean, Pertwee was what their third choice, and they'd interviewed others before Tom Baker, 
and I mean it's not really until you get into the JMT era where he just sort of says I want him um, you're funny at a party uh, they just uh, crap series of crap audition so they have to take Sylvester McCoy <laughs> yes. but no look Tra- Trouton absolutely deserves the credit for what he did but I don't think that he's the only person who could have done it either. Mm. Others could have made it well. It might have been very different, mm. but I don't think he was the the one person. And of course, as part of you know his legacy uh, in the in the show, he came back for the tenth, twentieth uh, anniversaries, and also the two doctors. I suppose just quickly a couple of things. What do we think? Is there any difference in his portrayal in any of those stories? Yes. In the three doctors, he's trying to remember how he played it. So it doesn't feel as right, in air quotes. Five, five Doctors, he certainly has got it right. I think he's actually gone... Uh, and but, but he's earned more by the Five Doctors. He's probably more got into the, more the, the memory of it rather than, you know, it's like, well, he was a clown, so... Look, he might have seen the Crotons. He wasn't certainly uh, going to fan conventions by that stage. So I think no, it was, it was like... After, it was yeah, it was after. That, so he was probably yeah. relying on his memory and then saw the Crotons and said, well, maybe I should do it a little bit and differently. Does the fact that Terrence Dix wrote the Five Doctors yes. help as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably did as well. But Bob Baker and Dave Martin really... You know, do no we idea. think that he upstages Pertwee and the Three Doctors? But we certainly thought so. No, I, look, I, I think that they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're equal. The dynamic between them is very, very impressive. I mean, what, actually, the, the interesting thing there is, how do you think the dynamic would have worked had Hartnell been well enough to, to be a, a major part of it? Very interesting. I actually don't know that it would have worked, to be honest, because, mm. well, there, there is that story and, and, and about, um, it was a Barry Lack story about when they did the, the Three Doctors, because Pertwee was, was sort of um, a little... Re- uh, resistant. Un- unhappy, yeah. shall we say, that, 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 that Troughton had uh, so much of the story and that there was, you know, was photos of the three of them. So that's why you get those ones of Pertwee sort of standing out with the cape spread <laughs> and the other two down below him. Um, no, it is, seriously. And that, yeah. that was a busy yeah, investigation yeah, because he wanted, yeah... As far as he was concerned, he's the man. He was the man. Mm. Yeah. And uh, and the two doctors, the two doctors is a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well. I, I don't know that you'd really want that to be your swan song in the show. I no, thought, but no, it's, it's one episode, well, forty-five minutes too long. And I just think it's a boring story. It's, huh? it's very dull. Look, look, it's great to see them. I suppose you had that initial thing where it's. I mean, look, leaving aside all the continuity stuff and look we can talk about series 6b for 30 seconds no no no, no, but, no so do, do we believe there is a series 6b fan wank yeah it's just fan wank let's move on okay um but you get over the initial as i said leaving aside all the continuity you get the initial thing where hey look it's, it's you know and they're obviously having a good time together mm. but the problem is it seems just weighed down with all the other stuff um and then you've got a lot of rubbish where he's turning into an andrew gum yeah that's the wasted opportunity there why would you get him back and then plaster makeup on his face and change his personality and not have him with jamie um and and again if people said the highlights of the three doctors were those trout and pertwee interactions you get him back and you only give him five minutes of trout and column interaction and and, and much with the five doctors is much the same i mean if you gain if you're going to say that's the highlight really i mean that's a waste of opportunity because you nearly need that that doctor interaction but at least in the Five Doctors, he's got the Brigadier, who he, who is as close to a Doctor status as you can come. Until and, and then screwed that up. Sorry. Until Moffat screwed that's, that up. That's right. But but they, there is enough of that stuff in the tomb, where I, I think you get just enough in the Five Doctors of the interaction between them all in the tomb and those final scenes to make it all work. Maybe without sort of stretching the story mm. too far. I think it's a very nice balance. Whereas 
Two Doctors just doesn't strike that balance. Instead of ending on a sour note, let's end on a happier note. One moment of Troughton genius, brilliance, enjoyment from each of you. A, a moment of Troughton genius. Or just something that sticks with you that you enjoy. I think a lot of his little character moments for me. I mean, there's stuff like um, when you know they walk into the tomb and he holds Fraser's hand. I mean, that, that gives you a right. Um, there's, so there's, there's a very funny moment, I think it's part five of Ice Warriors, where he finally gets access to the ship. Walk, walk, walks in confidently, sees this seven-foot ice warrior and goes, oh, bugger, and just, just turns around and tries to walk out again. The ice warrior shut the door on him. That was quite funny, but it wouldn't be my moment. No, and then, I mean, there's that, that little the, the chase scene out of um, where the ice warriors are chasing around the moon base on... Um, Seeds of Death. And Seeds of Death. The great thing about Troughton is that uh, if you ask... He was a pants man. He was, apart from being a pants man, is that... I know they do polls, but I've never heard anybody say, I can't stand... The second Doctor. No, I hate the second true, Doctor. Actually. There's been, there's a lot of love for him. Yeah, he, he's not in the upper echelons of the poles, but there's certainly a lot of love for him, uh, the character. No, he's not. He's not like Paul Collin, who invariably that, winds up. That's right. Holding up the uh, poles. Yeah, what? Well, well, not mention poles, but um, I watched uh, just for the hell of it a few yeah, months. How is your relationship with DWM Collin? <laughs> I'm just typing up my blog right now. <laughs> Sorry, I can't bother making a phone call. Sorry, girl. Um, no, a couple of months ago, I just felt like watching Doctor Who for the sake of it, and I just went straight for Tomb of the Sidemen. And I watched it straight through, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And just watching him, I mean, he does... He just lifts it. I think he's a, a brilliant actor, and I think he's a brilliant characterisation. And I'd love to see more, Phil. <clears throat> yeah, I must admit, actually, one just just thinking of one I saw recently is um, that little thing in in the new underwater menace episode, uh, oh, yeah. where he just sort of you know where he's talking yeah, where he's hey. talking to, and then he just sort of sidles backward and turns the power off on the console. Yeah, um, that was really well done, and that's something look you just don't get on an audio. No. I'm going to plump for a missing story, and actually say his confrontation with the Dalek Emperor in Evil of the Daleks where it's an incredibly powerful confrontation and he basically says look I've defeated you now and I actually don't care what you do with me now and it really feels like this big moment that almost four years of Doctor Who has been built into and he carried the, the, the fact that I, I've only heard it on audio and it sits in my memory so well I think is testament to how powerful that performance is um, well, I'm going to plump you Rob I'm going to plump for something that everyone knows about and I Rightly, because it's 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 so famous and not horror fang rock. It's <laughs> a little known fact that that's uh, a great story. <laughs> it is all hail. <laughs> the moment that I'll plump for is one that everyone knows and remembers because rightly so. It is, for want of a better word, it's one of those iconic moments of Doctor Who. It's where uh, the Doctor and Victoria sit down in Tomb of the Cybermen in that that sort of pause, that that, that quiet moment where he's talking about you know mm. his family. Yeah. And for a, 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 myself, I've got two young daughters. It's it's uh, it resonates with me because it's one of those fatherly tender moments that you don't really see in Doctor Who and I don't know that you can think of any other Doctor maybe Hartnell uh, otherwise who would actually be able to pull that off no. and, and that, that, that no. sticks in my memory that he's a man who has basically swept this girl out of her own life and she's got no one and he's trying to make a connection and I think he succeeds very well and that's the, to me that's, that's Troughton through and through that he makes a really great connection not only with the people he works with, but the audience as well. And that's why 40 years or 50 years later, we're still talking about him. Yeah. yeah. That and the fact we're sad Doctor Who fans. About Fury from the Deep was interesting because 
you know, the Victoria's departure was signposted quite early on in that uh, story. And at the end, you know, it's not the usual, oh, two minutes, uh, you know, we're going to go and get rid of the companion and bugger off. There's actually time to really, uh, for her to make that decision. Mm. Just and even the goodbye scenes at the end of War Games. Yeah. They're, they're incredibly touching moments yeah. where, as has been pointed out, not only are they not going to see him again, they're going to lose their memories of 90% of their time with him. And that's an incredibly touching moment. And he, like, yeah. he brings a really good um, atmosphere to those. Yeah, until it gets wrecked on by Big Nick. So I want to thank Dave and Richard for uh, joining us on our Troughton Retrospective. Before we go, Dave, you have something to say? Oh, I just wanted to mention a little special fan moment for me is that I'm off to the UK again over Christmas. So for the first time ever in my life, I'm going to get to see an episode of Doctor Who actually broadcast live on the BBC. Yes, it will be a Christmas episode, but, but you know, I'll, I'll take that. But whilst I'm in the UK, I'm expecting to see a Doctor Who podcast on every corner. I'll be keeping a close eye on any librarians and postmen I see, and if I if I stumble upon if I stumble upon the museum, I will let you guys know. Yeah, actually, on the Christmas special, is 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 Clara? Do we know she? No, leaving? she's gone. No, 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 she's gone. But is she leaving in the Christmas one? No, she she's leaving. leaving yeah, of... she's leaving Death in Heaven too. Okay. Yeah. No, gone. So it's gone. just the Doctor and River song at Christmas. Oh God. <laughs> That'll Have bring, fun, Dave. Yeah, that'll, <laughs> that'll bring up your Christmas Have a great trip. Yeah, at, yeah. at least I'll actually get to see a Christmas episode on Christmas Day in context. Not, yes. not tired and hungover after a day at the cricket on, the, on um, Boxing Day. Yeah, you enjoy that, Dave. On that bombshell, I've been Mark. I've been the voice of fandom, Bob. <laughs> I'm Richard. And I'm Dave. Keep punching! You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.